Please stand for the reading of God's word from Luke 5, 1 through 32. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Good morning, my name is Greg Russell, I'm an elder here. It's my delight and privilege to introduce uh, Reverend David Augustine, who will be our preacher this morning. Uh, David's a member of our presbytery, Southern New England Presbytery, and is the RUF campus minister at the University of Connecticut, which is about 80 miles down 90 and 84, turning at exit 70, <laughs> driving around, uh, which I know. Um, it's a privilege to have you here, and uh, let me pray for, for David as he gives us the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for David. Thank you for the call on his heart uh, to be an RUF uh, minister. I'm, I'm grateful for the ways in which our church uh, supports RUF ministers in Boston and through our presbytery in Connecticut. I pray, Lord, that his heart would be for the students and those of which you've called him to. Uh, but mostly his, call, his heart will be uh, inclined to you, and Lord, and that through his work and through uh, his ministry, people would see Jesus and that the kingdom might increase and that you would equip he and his family uh, to everything, for everything to, to do that work. Um, I pray specifically for his message to us today. I pray that you would give him words to hear, that we would um, hear what you would have us hear, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts and open hearts and minds uh, for the message. And I pray that all here uh, would hear the gospel through David this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Oh, good morning. I think I'm on. Am I on? Maybe I didn't... Am I on? There we go. All right. Didn't flip it in the right way. Um, well, good morning. As he said, my name is David Augustine. Uh, originally from Pennsylvania, then went to undergrad, still in Pennsylvania at University of Pittsburgh, uh, where I was a part of RUF in undergrad. 
uh, original life plan was not to was not to be a pastor, uh, but the Lord worked on my heart in RUF um, and called me uh, to this work. Ended up going to Covenant Theological Seminary out in St. Louis. Um, and was there for three years. Then last year, I was back in Pennsylvania uh, for one year, working as kind of an interim campus lead at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Um, confusingly named, I know, but the town of Indiana, for which the college is named, was named before the state, so the state took the town's name. Um, and then up here to Yukon to be the campus minister. Uh, moved here in June, so this is my first year here uh, in New England um, and at Yukon, uh, but been really enjoying it, really loving it, um, and really grateful that I get to be with you all here this morning. Um, and thank you for your prayers for RUF. Um, it's good to know uh, when I'm walking on campus, I don't walk on there alone spiritually, uh, so really grateful for, for your prayers. Um, I want to say another prayer just for myself as we enter into a time with the Word. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can come before you. Um, thank you that you've given me this privilege um, to speak to your people. Um, Lord, give me wisdom and discernment um, as I speak, um, that I might glorify you um, so that your people might come to love you more. Um, and those who do not know you uh, may come to see you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in the 1970s, there's a uh, NFL football coach named Bud Grant, who was the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and his players really loved playing for him. Um, if you would go back and you know look at interviews or talk to players now, they all have you know incredibly fond memories of him. They loved him, um, but he was a little bit peculiar. Um, he would have very kind of exacting expectations about strange things like how high players' socks were or showing up at, you know, five minutes early and couldn't, couldn't be a minute later. Um, and other odd things like in the, in the playoffs in Minnesota outside, uh, he decided that turning the heat off on their sideline, not on the opposing sideline, but on their sideline was a great idea because it made the players tougher um, and work harder. Um, Players still love playing for him. And it wasn't just because they won a lot of games, but he cared for them really well. Um, he was intentional with them. People wanted to follow him. People wanted to follow him. And they didn't care about the other strange things that he maybe asked them to do. Many things in our life ask us to follow them to not care about the cold, to, to not care about the other things that they ask us to do and say, follow this, follow me. Whether it's family expectations, whether it's career, whether it's uh, someone that you read and they say, trust me above anything else. There are things in our life that ask us to follow them. And if you're here and you are a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, um, perhaps not in word, but in deed, we have trusted other things more than Jesus. We have followed other things more closely than we have followed Jesus. So in this passage, 
I think it asks us and addresses the question, why follow Jesus? Why is it worth standing out in the cold like those football players for Jesus? Why follow Jesus? And this may sound like a purely evangelistic question, um, a question for non-believers. Um, and, in, and in many ways, it, it, it is that. And if you're here and you aren't a believer, I hope that through this, you might come to see Jesus as just a little bit more beautiful and a little bit more worth following. But even more than that, if you're here and you put your faith in Jesus, I hope that through this, through this reflection on the person of Jesus, that you would learn to see him as more beautiful, more wonderful, and that your service towards him would not just be of duty, but because we love Jesus, because we love him more than the other things, that we would desire to follow him. So again, I'll ask the question, why follow Jesus? So in this first story, in verses 1 through 11, we see that we follow Jesus because he reveals and calls to a good purpose. He reveals and calls to a good purpose. So he does a couple, Jesus does a couple acts of revealing in this first story. The first is simply the teaching. He's revealing to the people through teaching, teaching them the word of God. But the, the miracle that he does is generally regarded not as a miracle of uh, nature. He's not, he's not making the fish uh, appear, but rather a, a miracle of knowledge. He knows where the fish are. He's revealing to the fishers, fishermen, where to cast their net. It's a miracle of knowledge, and he reveals to them where to cast their nets. And when Peter responds, falling on his knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, we might wonder why, why respond in that way. It seems like an odd response to this marvelous catch of fish. And it seems as I read it and that Jesus has revealed something about himself through these acts of revealing, that he has shown himself to be a prophet, Peter does not yet fully understand the, the full person of Christ yet. That, that doesn't come until later in the story. But he sees that Jesus is a prophet, someone who's coming with teaching, doing miracles. Peter, as someone who's familiar with the Old Testament story, knows this, these are the marks of a prophet, Someone sent by God with the word of God. And what do prophets do throughout the Old Testament as they bring their message from God to the people is they bring messages saying, repent, turn away from the wrong that you are doing and turn back to God. So Peter, knowing this, Jesus, or I should, I should say Jesus, having revealed this aspect of his person to Peter and the other fishermen, Peter's own heart is revealed more to him. He sees himself and his need more clearly as a result of Jesus revealing himself to him. 
So Peter responds, responds saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, because he sees himself more clearly. Have you ever experienced something like that, whether it be in the Bible or elsewhere, something that reveals to you, teaches you? But it maybe not only does that, but it reveals something and then calls you to do something, either as a result of that or as an implication of that, as we see Jesus do here. Because Jesus doesn't simply leave Peter there. He doesn't leave him in his despair and his misery, but invites him into the work that he is doing, saying, do not be afraid, lovingly calling him in, saying, from now on, you will be catching men, inviting him into the work. Jesus reveals and he calls to a good purpose. Uh, There's a a poem, uh, well, the sort of entire book is a poem, The Canterbury Tales. Um, And if you're familiar or not familiar with The Canterbury Tales, it's a series of kind of collected stories about a group of people who are going on a pilgrimage. Um, And there's descriptions of of the different characters at the beginning of the book. Um, And one of the characters, uh, one of the three sort of religious characters in the book, um, and the only good religious character is called the parson. And when I read the parson's description, um, it reveals something to me as someone who's seeking to be a shepherd. Um, It reveals something to me of what it means to be a shepherd of God's people. Um, and calls me into that. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read a few verses from it. So this is a description of the parson, or sort of a, a pastor, medieval word for a pastor. There is nowhere a better priest, I trow. He had no thirst for pomp or reverence, nor made himself a special spiced conscience. But Christ's own lore and his apostles' twelve, he taught, but first he followed it himself. It teaches me, reveals to me a little bit of what it means to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and loving his people, but also calls me into the work. Jesus does this to our own hearts. He, he teaches and reveals, reveals himself, and in so doing, revealing our own hearts to us, and then calls us into the beautiful work that he himself is doing, and so we follow. Or perhaps you continue to feel like Peter. (laughs) I am sinful. How can I follow? Would you read with me continuing on verses 12 through 16? While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So next we see that we follow Jesus because he makes the unclean clean. 
So just to review the, the, the story, a man who has a skin ailment described here as leprosy comes before Jesus seeking to be made clean. This would be both a, a healing as well as a, a ritual cleansing. If you had a skin ailment, you, you could not go into the temple. Um, you also couldn't uh, interact with, with other people. This is in the Jewish, uh, Jewish tradition taken from in, in the Old Testament law. Um, You couldn't interact with people in the same way. You had to keep distance. Um, So you're separated, separated both from religious life as well as social life. Um, And this man desires to be made clean so that he can engage in both of those things. And we see that Jesus has the ability to do it. Normally, the course of action for someone in this position would be wait until the skin ailment clears, until it heals, and then you would go to the priest um, for, a, for a kind of ritual cleansing. And we see that Jesus is greater than the priest who is a just you know, a merely human priest who would just wait for the skin ailment, but he can bring cleanness. That as the man who is unclean comes before him, he does not make Jesus unclean, but instead Jesus makes him clean so that he is able to go to God, so that he is able to go to the temple, engage in sacrifice and the things of God. So Jesus is greater greater than the priest, although he encourages the man to go and to, and to, and to engage, and, sorry, verse 14, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them to engage in the religious life, to make a cleansing, to go before God. Jesus calls him into that life, but Jesus himself is the one who makes him clean, so we, as we see who Jesus is, see that he gives us confidence to draw near, that it, it is, we do not worry about our uncleanness, the sins that we may have committed, things we do, but can draw near before God, knowing that Jesus makes us clean. And so we follow after him. Because we see the goodness of that, we see the need that we have of it, that we can draw near to God because of Jesus. So next, we see that, Je- that we follow after Jesus because he has authority, because he has authority. And as you're maybe recognizing, I'm doing sort of a flyover view of a lot of verses here, uh, rather than digging in deeply into into one section. Um, So would you read with me in verses 17 through 26? And one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So again, a quick recap, Jesus teaching and healing in a home, friends who desire for their paralyzed friend to be healed, lower the man through the ceiling. Jesus sees their faith and first forgives the man of his sins. The Pharisees and scribes seeing this are doubtful and wonder, and their wonder you know, reflects a true and accurate understanding of Scripture. Can't only God forgive sins? The question that is in their hearts, asking, does, does he have the authority to do what he is claiming that he can do? Jesus, to confirm the authority that he has, says, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Jesus communicates that he, yes, indeed does have authority, authority to forgive sins just as he has authority over creation itself. Jesus has authority. Don't we want to follow someone who has authority, who has the power and ability to actually affect the world? But that word authority brings with it a question, doesn't it? We want authority. We want someone who can, who can have an effect, who we can follow, who has strength. But there is a question, a question of how will the authority be used? Can I trust the authority? Uh, when I uh, was... Uh, a teenager, I would play a lot of different board games, uh, and one of the board games I would play is called Diplomacy. It's sort of like Risk. If you ever played Risk, sort of a conquer the world kind of a board game. Um, but it's all about alliances. You have to make alliances with different people. Um, and I was playing one time, and uh, a friend and another friend, they got into alliance, and they were just like crazy powerful. They just like rolling up the board. Um, so they were the ones who were in authority in that situation. They had, they had all the control, all the power, and I wanted to be part of that alliance, right? I wanted to be on the winning team. I wanted to be part of the people who were in control, but I was, was out of control for me. I got rolled up just like everybody else. They crushed me. Is that the kind of authority that Jesus wields? Well, let's look at how he chooses to use the authority that he has. He reveals where to catch fish. He gently says, I will be clean, touching the leper. To the man who comes humbly in faith, seeking healing, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. 
This is how Jesus uses his authority. That those who come to him in meekness and humility, he gives forgiveness and healing. He uses his authority to restore. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful that the one who has authority over all creation, authority to forgive sins, doesn't withhold it, doesn't hold it in himself like someone who is greedy and doesn't want to give away the goods that he has, but he came to give, to restore, to forgive, to invite in. That's the Jesus that we follow. So what is our response? Our response is like those in verse 26. An amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. As we see Jesus working here in the scriptures in our own lives, as we see him restore things bit by bit, or we see and know his forgiveness, we respond with amazement, with rejoicing, with singing, like we've done today. So we follow because he reveals and calls to a good purpose. We follow because he makes the unclean clean and because he has all authority. But a question may still linger in our minds asking, Do we really need him? Do we need Jesus? Would you look with me in verses 26 through 32? Sorry, verses 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So finally, we see that we follow because we need healing and Jesus offers it. So we see two groups of people, the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees responding to Jesus in very different ways. So first we see Levi responding with joy and leaving everything he rose and followed him. I think we can reasonably assume that as we read this story, it's implied that Levi would know about Jesus. Jesus has been doing great things in the area. We know through uh, that, that, that Jesus' fame spreads as people talk about the miracles that he has done. Um, I think it's reasonable to assume that Levi knows who Jesus is. He might not know every detail about Jesus' preaching. Uh, He might not have come to the same conclusions about like Peter, about Jesus being a prophet. But he knows that Jesus is one who's doing great things, 
Perhaps he knows that people who come to him can receive forgiveness, although we can't say that for certain, but certainly he knows about Jesus. And so when Jesus, this beautiful, wonderful teacher, says, come, follow me, he jumps up at the chance to follow after Jesus. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Contrasting this, to the Pharisees, when they see what Jesus does, verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I think, I believe we can, we can contrast the outward uh, uh, appearance and actions of the tax collectors and sinners with the Pharisees by looking at how do they see their own sin? How do they see their own hearts? That Levi and his friends are publicly wrong, are publicly seen as people who do wrong. You may be familiar, maybe not, with the position of tax collector was, was in this time, uh, was someone who would have allied themselves with Rome, uh, would have, in this case, Levi here, a Jewish person who uh, uh, allied themselves with the Roman power and was essentially extorting uh, their fellow, his fellow countrymen for money so that he could get wealthy off the backs of his people um, through the, the Roman power that was sort of lent to him. So people knew that he was greedy, that he was um, kind of uh, aggressive in, in his you know, kind of outlook and posture towards others. So he was forced to see that about himself because others saw him that way. He knew that he was sinful. But the Pharisees, we know throughout the Gospels that the way that Jesus you know, calls them out, that they were sinful as well, that prideful, they saw themselves as the righteous ones, look down on others. But their sins were socially acceptable. Other people saw them as great people. So they saw themselves as great people. They weren't forced to reckon with their own need of forgiveness in the way that Levi was forced to see that day in and day out. And so Jesus says, those who are well, referring to the Pharisees who see themselves as well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick referring there to the tax collectors who know their own need, who know that they need forgiveness. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to know that we need healing. We need to know that we need forgiveness in order to come to Jesus. I will bet that the things that ask us, ask you, follow me. Follow me instead of Jesus. Those things in your life, whatever they are, family, career, person, author, whatever, says you can do it. 
You can be good enough if you work hard enough, if you train enough, if you give everything over to the pursuit of me, you'll be great. You can heal yourself. Jesus says no. We can't do that. We can't heal ourselves. Instead, he says, come to me, all who need healing, forgiveness for what we have done wrong, our sin, as well as the ways that we have hurt our own hearts and the ways that we need to grow and change, but can only be done as we come humbly before Jesus, the one who has all authority and is able to heal, is able to forgive and is wise and righteous to teach us his ways. That, again, is the Jesus who we follow. I want to close uh, looking a little bit um, at a picture that holds Jesus up for us. Who is this Jesus that we follow? In Revelation chapter 5, Um, I'm going to read sort of a a truncated uh, pieces of that as we see Jesus. Jesus, the risen lamb who died for our sins, glorified. Again, this is the Jesus that we follow. And I, that is John, who's writing the book, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that is Jesus, who has all authority. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, giving of himself. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the promise. This is who Jesus is. This is who we follow. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to unpack all of the imagery and the seals and the scrolls, but the thrust of why I want to hold that passage up before us to close is to say we see the authority of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the self-sacrifice of Jesus, the revealing, the opening of the scroll of Jesus packed into one beautiful, awesome, amazing picture. And so we follow We follow and we trust Jesus more than we trust anything else in our entire life. That's what it means to put our faith in him, that we trust him more than anything else, but it's worth it. It's worth it because he is so good and so beautiful, and so we follow. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that as we go throughout our days and week,
um, that we would follow you, that you would give us the strength to do so, but that we would do it from hearts that love you, love you first more than anything else. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.